So in the right-of-way industry as a relocation agent, do you fancy yourself as Daniel LaRusso or Johnny Lawrence? Without a doubt, Johnny Lawrence. Damn right she is. Sweep the leg, Johnny. I'm Allie with an eye, if anybody <laughs> wanted to know. You wish you were Allie with an eye. I do wish I were Allie with an eye. This is Infrastructure Junkies. Welcome, Infrastructure Junkies, to your show. This is a podcast created by right-of-way professionals for right-of-way professionals. The Infrastructure Junkies podcast is the voice of the right-of-way industry, exploring eminent domain, right-of-way acquisition, and infrastructure development. And today, maximizing business relocation benefits. Let me tell you what, business relocation benefits are the most misunderstood area of -of right-of-way, so says me. And I'm the expert, right, Kristen? Uh, questionable. It's misunderstood by attorneys. It's misunderstood by agencies. Business relocation benefits are misunderstood by almost everyone in the industry except the purists who administer the Uniform Relocation Act and the reg- and the regulations. We've got some special guests today representing both attorneys and business relocation specialists who are going to help us distill this crazy area of -of right-of-way. But first, we want to thank our sponsor of this episode, Blackbird Right-of-Way. This is Kristen Bennett's relocation company that brings the best of relocation expertise to its clients. So, are we ready to get started? I am biting at the bit. Kristen Bennett is a relocation specialist, but we've also got Martin Daniel, who is also a great relocation specialist. Martin has been providing consulting services on right-of-way and eminent domain projects since founding his firm in 1998. Martin specializes in business relocation services for agencies in charge of acquisition and relocation, as well as for business and property owners being displaced by a public agency. He has worked on hundreds of business relocations, including the relocation planning and preparation of relocation costs exceeding $35 million, and he was instrumental in saving an agency client $7 million in unnecessary relocation expenses. We also wanted to have with us representation of the landowner's interest from an attorney perspective, not just any attorney, but an attorney who is experienced in relocation matters. Brandy Caswell joins us today from the law firm of Fagri Drinker, and she's based in Colorado. Now, Brandy leads the eminent domain and real estate litigation practice in Fagri Drinker's offices across the country. She leverages real estate experience and litigation prowess to resolve complex, high-level disputes involving eminent domain, land use, owners associations, special districts, and property value. Brandy partners with clients to achieve both creative and common-sense solutions to matters essential to the business objectives of her clients. And she's got great business relocation experience. Dave, are you telling me that I get to talk about relocation for a whole episode? Yeah, and I'm already asleep. Okay, wake up, because you know what? We are here live, Mm -hmm. on site, in beautiful, sunny Scottsdale, Arizona at the 2022 ALI-CLE Eminent Domain Conference. There's going to be approximately 200 attorneys here from all over the country. That's right. Learning and getting their CLEs. And Martin and I are actually doing a joint presentation about relocation tomorrow, which I'm excited about. Can't wait to see it. I know you're excited. Sort of. And guess what? Brandy is presenting not once, but twice. This is awesome. Yeah. We've got some real authority here. We do. And I just learned just moments ago that Martin and Brandy are currently working on a relocation case together in my neck of the woods down in North Carolina, a propane factory. Is that what it is, guys? Propane plant. Really, it's a distribution site. Sounds exciting. Sounds exciting. 
Oh, it you, actually you, has been one of the more complex relocations I've worked on. Probably, maybe not for Martin, but certainly for me. They all have their own excitement to them. They're, there's interesting how they're all unique, but there's some similarities. Okay. Well, we like to, to do these things on our own terms. So, Martin, the first question is for you. I understand you have seen the movie The Karate Kid. Yeah, a number of years ago. I've sat probably okay. with uh, my kids. So, in the right-of-way industry as a relocation agent, do you fancy yourself as Daniel LaRusso or Johnny Lawrence? Well... You better gosh, think this through. Well, that's Gosh, I certainly started out as, I, I think, the Karate Kid, but I've had some mentors and, and whatnot to train me to in techniques and in uh, patience and doing things the right way. So I, I think I've switched over the over a period of years. From what to what? So Danny LaRusso, remind me, that's Karate Kid, right? Yeah, yeah, that's okay. the Karate Kid. And, and then his trainer. Oh, wait a minute. Are you saying you're Mr. Miyagi? Oh, Mr. Miyagi, that's who I was thinking of. Yeah. <laughs> no, jo- oh. Johnny Lawrence is the blonde-headed guy that uh, was the bully. Sweep the leg, Johnny. Oh, of course. No, I wouldn't be Johnny. Okay. You haven't seen Cobra Kai. That's good. Brandy has. So, Brandy, are you Daniel LaRusso or Johnny Lawrence? Without a doubt, Johnny Lawrence. Damn, she is. Damn All right. right. I'm Allie with an I, if anybody wanted to know. <laughs> you wish you were Allie I with do an wish I were Allie with an I. All right. Here's where we're going to start. And this is going to be hard for you two relocation agents, okay? We want you to keep this at treetops, but identify the basic categories of relocation benefits available to businesses. Now, I know... That one question could spark a three-hour conversation, <laughs> which would bore everybody to tears. And we're not going to—we don't do that on Infrastructure Junkies. So, okay. Kristen, can you do this? Yeah. You mean just zoom? I'm going to zoom out. Yeah. Okay. And, and then gonna... Martin, tell us if you agree or disagree. Okay. Sounds good. We're going to go basics. Okay. There's three basic categories of reimbursement. Okay. Number one, moving expenses, and there's no monetary cap on that. That's limited by what's actual, reasonable, and necessary. Okay. That's number one. Easy peasy. Number two, reestablishment. Now, reestablishment on the national level does have a maximum of $25,000. Some states have different rules, okay? And reestablishment is like cost to do some finish out at your replacement site. We can't buy capital improvements or anything like that, but like paint, flooring, things like that, okay? I'm keeping it pretty broad, I think, for me. I'm proud of myself. And we can also pay site searching expenses up to a cap of $2,500. That's basics. All right, Martin, so far are we on the same page here? Yeah, we're on the same page, but gosh, it's, we're, I mean, that is really high level. And from my point of view, when I talked with a business, that's the understanding that they have too. So they think they're going to get $25,000 plus the cost to move, which is way undervaluing what, what we do here. Okay. Well, let's go a little further into the funnel. And I find as an attorney, business relocation cases, circumstances are fascinating, okay? And I think that there is a very strong argument that a business can be severely negatively impacted by being displaced by a right-of-way project. So, impacts, are they frequently negative? Neutral? Positive? What are they? Well, they're always there's always some negative to them. Uh, well, I shouldn't say always, but very commonly and but there are definitely some positives to them also, as well. Okay, and do all business do all businesses survive the relocation process? Absolutely not. No. Why not? Well, Kristen, do you want to start? I'll start. Okay. Yeah, I'll start by saying that twenty five thousand dollars for reestablishment is one tier in a bucket. I mean, that's just not enough. It does. It's never enough. I've had a snow cone stand that blew through twenty five thousand dollars of reestablishment, and a lot of times 
these business owners are tenants, okay? And they've put $150,000 into the space to accommodate their business. And we're like, oh, sorry. Yeah, we paid that to the landowner, but we do have this $25,000 available to you. So it's a, especially business tenants take just a massive hit. Okay, well, that begs a question that I have seen some disagreement in attorney circles. So Brandy, and I know the answer to this, by the way. The question is, are you going to agree with me? And I'm always right on the show, by the way. Are, okay. are businesses required to be made whole under the Uniform Relocation Act? Wah, wah, wah. I actually have that. <laughs> <laughs> Where's our sound effect? I, I actually liked Brandy's sad trombone better than the actual sad trombone. <laughs> What's the answer? No. Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. Capital N, capital O. Never. Yeah. So as everybody knows, I only represent the condemning authorities. And Brandy, I think you primarily represent landowners. What do you have to say about that? Is that fair? Well, it certainly doesn't feel fair when you're the business being relocated. And I think it's better than probably the situation that existed prior to the adoption of the URA. But it is something that when I talk to clients, I set their expectations very low. And I hope to do better, but my initial conversations with them are on this very question you just asked. Is it going to be complete? Is it going to be fair and full? Is it going to take care of everything you need? It is absolutely not. I don't think the act even says it's intended to do any of those things. It is probably one of the first points of discussion with a client. And how, how do they usually take that from you, from their attorney? By the time they've hired me, I think that they are, they have enough anxiety or trepidation about what's happening that they are already concerned about that. Although there are circumstances where we take on eminent domain matters and the, the displaced business hasn't even considered that they might be eligible for those benefits. So sometimes it's a happier conversation when we're saying to them, not only are you going to get just compensation, we can pursue for you relocation benefits. So when you get involved in a case involving relocation, do you assist your clients in working directly with the agency representative with their relocation agent? Or do you turn to someone like Martin, like you're working together in North Carolina? Like basically, when do you leave a Kristen and pull in a Martin? Well, I do both. And it depends on how things are going because my fees under the act are not reimbursable. But someone like Martin and Chris, Kristen, if they're working for the landowner, those can be, at least in part. So I want my client to be made as whole as I can make them. And if that means passing the work to an expert like Martin, that's exactly what I will do if I think it's the best thing for the client. Oftentimes, I tend to stay involved at a higher level, but I try to, frankly, I just try to minimize the expense for the client because it's they're already in the position where I've had to have that difficult conversation at the outset. Yeah. So Martin, how does a guy like you become involved on behalf of the displacee? Well, lately I get referred to by, by attorneys like Brandy. It's usually the property owner attorney that uh, refers the two of us together, the displacee and myself. And then as a threesome, we, we work through it together. And so that's, it used to be years ago, I'd, I'd actually go knock on the doors and tell the businesses what, how I can help them and, and send them letters and things like that. It just doesn't seem like I need to do that anymore. But if you get involved, is it just as a matter of course, or is it because the referring attorney feels like the displacee is not getting full benefits or what are generally the circumstances? It seems like if the act's working as intended, you shouldn't need to get involved. 
Well, one would think that's true, but as the act pays for planning your move, planning the move of the business and the personal property. And that's probably one of the key items for successfully relocating a business is to find, you know, granted, they, they don't get paid for everything in relocation, but we can find a lot of opportunities for almost every business in how they can actually improve how they do business at their new location. And that's what we look for right at the beginning is how are you doing business now? How should you be doing it at the new location? And is there even a better location? Martin, and I think that's fascinating because I think that a lot of times people in your position get painted as like the adversary to people in my position because I'm coming in and the thought is that I'm representing the agency because that's who's hired me when in fact, I don't believe that I represent the agency. And we can touch on that some more in a little bit, but then it's like, well, here's this other relocation agent that's representing the display C and we're going to go to battle here. And I don't think that is the intent. And I think that if you're coming in as a move planner, oh my gosh, if I get to work with a move planner who knows what, what they're doing on behalf of the display C, someone like you, it's, it makes my job easier. It's great. But sometimes the term move planner can mean not what you're doing. It can mean somebody who's going to throw a wrench into everything that we do and make my job 10 times more difficult. And in my experience, cost the displacee money that's coming out of reimbursable funds that they're receiving through relocation. So I think a, 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 a true move planner who's coming in, planning a move, improving the business's process at the new location, oh, worth your weight in gold. And I love that. But I think that sometimes I'm put in a position dealing with someone, I'm going to use air quotes, can't see that on a podcast, but a move planner who is not a move planner at all. I understand that. And it's, it really works very well when you have the public agency agent like yourself who understands the regulations very well, and then a move planner as well. The two of them can do a lot of good for the business and for the agency as well and, and the public as a whole. So it's a, a real team effort However, it doesn't always happen that way. It doesn't Correct. always, you know, unfortunately. And, and that's where then I have to get into a little bit of a different position for, with uh, trying to show where the business owner is, in fact, entitled to a certain relocation benefit. Sure. Yeah. And I want to kind of go back to an acknowledgement that Brandy made that under the Uniform Relocation Act, the business doesn't have to be made whole. So my question for you is, do you see businesses fail? I should say frequently see businesses fail because they don't have to be made whole under the act. Like, are they put out of business because of this? I mean, this is a thing I really struggle with, even as an agency attorney. It doesn't seem right. I know it's the law, right, Brandy? And we got to deal with it. And I, I really struggle with this philosophically. Right. The Uniform Act does not, in fact, it says right in the act that it's not intended to make the business whole. That doesn't mean that it cannot make them whole. It may happen and it may work well that way. That's right. But oftentimes, well, let's have to evaluate what's making whole too. Does that just mean covering every cost of, which is probably what most people think, but the, but it's more again, back to improving the business. What can you do to improve the business at their replacement property? And then back to your question about, have I seen businesses go under because of relocation? Yes. I've seen a couple that, that I actually worked with. One of them just couldn't find a good replacement property. And they, mm -hmm. they got, they actually got very good, very well compensated for their relocation dollars, but they could not find a, or the location they chose just did not generate the traffic that they needed to. And it, after two years, they, they went out of business. Yep. Brandy, your reaction to this initial question was the sad trombone. Yep. So what say ye about this? 
Well, I think Martin makes a really good point about the discretion the agency has to try as hard as they can to get to that point of making an owner whole or a business owner whole. And the level of effort by the agency, whether it be directly or by hiring people like Kristen or Martin, has a direct relationship with that. Because my advice to clients is how this turns out is going to largely depend on who the relocation agency is or who they assign to this relocation, how much they really understand the act and how much flexibility they're willing to show us as we prepare the claim. Because the agency is supposed to, I mean, the act requires that they send people like Martin and Kristen in and to talk to the business owner, to tour the business, to understand what's going to, how is this going to go? What do we need to do? And I have, you know, several cases where Basically, the the business owner ended up on the paperwork that has to be submitted to the federal transportation authorities as a displaced business, and nobody bothered to ever speak to them, to ever tour the site, to ever do anything to understand what was going to be required for this particular business to move. And really, that's the example that where I pulled in Martin to help. It was a you know propane storage and distribution plant. And it was a partial taking of half of the site. They had their office on one end and they had massive tanks and trucks and all sorts of on the part taken. And we kept getting letters saying, send us your moving estimates. Wow. Okay. Well, Kristen, what do you have to say about that? Well, th- this is a weird, I've, I've talked about this with Martin a little bit. I can easily get my backup if I go talk to a displacee and I'm told like, oh, I have an attorney and you need to go through them. And then they're like, we're going to hire our own person. And I'm like, hold up, <laughs> just wait one second. Because I promise you, if you are spending a dollar that is eligible anywhere under the Uniform Act, I'm going to find it. You don't need this other person. Now, if it's a move, if they're, okay, we've got this really complicated manufacturing facility and we're going to bring in somebody like Martin that's going to be able to say like, here's the serial number of this piece of equipment and here's where it needs to go. And here's how we're going to time the move so that you're not out of business for three weeks. Martin, high five, let's go. Let's work together on this. But when somebody's like, I'm bringing somebody in to make sure they get all the money that's due to them, frankly, it ticks me off. However, not every person that's put on a relocation on behalf of a condemning agency really should be in that position. And I understand that and I recognize that. So I I try to not take it personally because I know there are some people that are doing what I'm doing that maybe don't have the expertise to properly handle a a business displacy. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to break with you here and I get your position, but unfortunately I've seen as a practicing attorney, I've seen situations like Brandy describes Yeah, from a consultant relocation agent. And I think that was foreign to you when we first got to know each other a number of years ago that, what do you mean the relocation agent doesn't know their stuff inside and out? And sometimes there's just somebody thrown on the job and what she describes happens. I know. I'm agreeing with her on that. I'm just saying, sometimes you get a me. Okay. If you're lucky. And and I'm not, it's not like I'm good at relocation and there's no one else. You're not? Are you admitting that? I'm admitting that. There are a ton of really good relocation agents out there who work for the agency. There's a ton. I know. There are some shoddy ones too. There are people that are out there doing relocation that don't know about relocation. It's it's like lawyers. It's like lawyers, right? Are there bad ones? I've never heard that. (laughs) Not at at this table. There's not. (laughs) So Brandy, let's stick with you. Relocation benefits, just compensation, put this to bed once and for all. Is there an intersection between the two? There shouldn't be. Okay. Good answer. Oh, uh oh. Oh, wait a minute. Go ahead. I was about to applaud her, but I'm now I'm going to pause. 
What I have found in the last couple of years of work is that where a condemning agency hasn't hired people like Kristen and Martin, and they have discovered unhappily that they are subject to paying relocation benefits, they have pivoted to amending their take to include things that they have dis- discovered it will be very expensive to move. This happened really? In the propane example, yes. They then took, they amended their appraisal and they took some very expensive infrastructure needed for these big storage tanks to, and paid the depreciated 40-year value of them. <laughs> and so that's the rub for me is it shouldn't, there should not be any intersection. But I'm very careful because I have had on more than one instance, a condemnor try to take that which they would otherwise have to move. Okay, Johnny Lawrence, oh. I have to admit, I didn't see that answer coming. I didn't either. And it's, it's like, why wouldn't it be that case? Of course, they're going to do something like that. Never saw it coming. Never saw it coming. Is that frequent, Martin? Do you see that? I, I, that's fascinating to me. Is it ethical? No. I'm sorry. Was that a rhetorical question? Well, I don't know. I don't know feels, how you guys it think. It feels shady. <laughs> AF. <laughs> <laughs> well, as you, Dave, there's this long line of, of authority in every single state that it is the condemnor's prerogative to decide what they're going to take. And that is a legislative decision that they get to make and nobody gets to inquire into but, it. But the, yeah, they can inquire into it. They can't take more than is reasonably necessary under the project. Well, that's true. But who gets to decide what's necessary? I mean, there, I, granted, there is law that says, you know, you can poke into that what's necessary, but it is a very hard thing to do to second guess the condemnor. No judge wants to do it. And those arguments are, are at least in the jurisdictions that I work, they don't want to hear that. Come on out Wait. to Virginia. They don't mind doing it in Virginia. They oh. poke at us all the time. All right, here I come. Well, here's a question about that. So with these tanks that you're talking about, was it, were they in the take now or were they taken now because there was a reclassification of whether or not they were a personality or realty or a fixture or a trade fixture? Or is it just they weren't in the take now they are? That's a little bit hard to answer because the we weren't getting copies of the appraisal as the tenant. Oh. Um, but the tenant did, in fact, it was an odd circumstance. The tenant did, in fact, buy all of the improvements had a lease that stated that they were entitled to take all of the improvements at the end of the leasehold, also an unusual position for a tenant to be in. So I think there's a lot of assumptions out there that this is a tenant and what's here that can't be lifted up and taken with them is part of the realty. But we didn't get into the issue about whether something's a fixture or not. They just said, well, as soon as I said those need to be moved, they said, oh no, those are part of the take. Oh my. Wow. This episode is generously sponsored by Blackbird Right-of-Way. Blackbird is a small, woman-owned DBE specializing in relocation assistance services. The Blackbird team has completed over a 1,000 relocations and can handle even the most complex displacements. If you need Uniform Relocation Act compliance and expertise, you need Blackbird Right-of-Way. Find them at blackbirdrow.com blackbirdrow.com. Well, here's a piece of trivia. I don't, I think this Martin and Brandy certainly doesn't know this presentation that Martin and Kristen are going to give here at the ALI CLE. ALI originally wanted to call the session, quote, 
just relocation, which suggests that relocation and just compensation, there is an intersection. And Kristen strenuously objected to them doing that. I did. And so tell us why you objected. And then what's your all's take on that? Well, I objected to that because present company excluded. I've worked with landowner attorneys in the past who have thought that, oh, we're going to get in here and do some negotiating on the relocation. And there's really not any room for negotiation and relocation. Something is eligible or it's not. And it's a reimbursement, period. So you spend it to get it and we reimburse you what you're due only. That's it. There's no room for negotiating under relocation. And I think to, to talk about just relocation or just compensation within relocation really blurs the line a little bit. It makes it murky for in a situation that's already murky enough for most people. All right, Martin, on the other side of the table. Yeah, in part, I agree with you, Kristen. There's... It's not negotiable. However, there is, I think you could call it just relocation because there is no negotiations. It is what it is, with the exception of who is determining what's eligible and what's not. How are they applying the regulations to the personal property? And it's there's a lot of room for improvement in that area because we can be miles apart on, on what is eligible and what is not based on the regulations that are right in front of us. It's amazing how there are different interpretations of, of the regulations. So with that said, I think you could have just relocation. You should have just relocation, but in fact, we don't. Well, I, I'm going to tell you, if Brandy Caswell was not wearing headphones, I think I would see smoke coming out of her ears right now. I think she has something it's to say. Seeping Johnny out from behind the headphones Johnny right Lawrence. Now. <laughs> and I don't know whether this is Karate Kid Johnny or Cobra Kai. Good Johnny right it's, now. Right now uh -huh. she is. Go ahead. I wish... It was as clean cut as Kristen says, it, it would be very nice. But the problem is what Martin identified. There is so much discretion at the agency level as to how they want to categorize, whether they're willing to categorize something in this bucket or that bucket. And all of that discretion equals we have to negotiate and we have to find flexibility because they have all the flexibility. And in some states, you have no meaningful appeal rights. The agency gets to review its own decision as to whether they reasonably exercise their discretion. So you really feel that your client is at the mercy of the expertise of the person who's involved yeah. and the judgment of the person who's involved on behalf of you know, the agency. Yeah. Okay. And here's a perfect example. I think we're on the same page with this. Let's talk about a restaurant that's moving. Okay. And they've got a fryer and above that is a Ventahood. Okay. The Ventahood is like installed. It's not movable. It's not considered personal property. In order for us to reinstall that fryer and for it to be up to code, it has to have a Ventahood, right? Those are expensive. It's going to be 20 grand. I have on multiple occasions included the cost of a new Ventahood, which makes that very piece of equipment, which was moved under relocation. That's what makes it reconnected and installed. And it's been turned down and said, no, that's reestablishment. And I've gotten to where I quote the regs, like I can get that through as a moving expense now, but a lot of agencies are like, no, that's a capital improvement or no, that's part of the real estate or, oh, we already paid for that. And I argue all the time, uh-uh, we have not reinstalled this piece of equipment without that piece of equipment. So I think that's, a, I mean, there's a gazillion examples like that. I mean, grease traps, whatever, but it's a good point. Yeah. Let me emphasize another really good point she just made. This is kind of weird. Under Brandy and I were talking about this before we started the podcast, how most, if not all states have their own relocation act, which needs to be followed. And generally the displacee, if they're unhappy with whatever their, whatever is deemed to be their rights under the act, they have an administrative right of appeal 
to the agency to either reject or uphold their own decision. This feels like Soviet Russia to me in some ways, <laughs> or maybe communist China. I don't know. This seems like a weird system to me. I can, can do I, you one better, though, because I've actually asked for that appeal. said, all right, here's our appeal, knowing this, is, this doesn't have a lot of teeth, this appeal, and been completely ignored. Effectively, there was no appeal. What? what? Okay, go, go ahead. Yes, I, I said, this is a decision you've made. You've said, we are not a displaced business. I have so many days to take action on that. And I've sent letters saying, all right, I'm appealing this decision. And I've said, please get the record together and all of the different things I needed to say in that particular jurisdiction. And you never had a hearing. Crickets. What do you do? I've been at a loss in this one. That's Can why I was very interested to hear you talk about federal lawsuits. Well, you get with Mr. Waldo. They had a very successful federal relocation case a couple of years ago. Wow. Wow. So they just ignored the law. I'm going to have a stroke right now. I'm serious. Are you, <laughs> I don't even know what to, I don't say. Know what to say either. I don't either. I thought you were going to talk about how the, the regs are so vague about like after the appeal, what? Oh, you can have a judicial review, meaning what, where? We're, we're just not going to give you a judicial like review or an appeal. No. Nothing. You, nope. No soup, oh you. no soup no for you. No soup for you. No soup for you. I'd like to jump in a little bit on the, on the yeah. appeal process. It's, I've been in through several of them. I'm going through one right now as well. And it's probably one of the most burdensome, cost expensive for the property owner. It can cost $100,000, $300,000 to appeal, uh, depending on the, the complexity of the case. And it is so unfair to put the burden onto the, to the business owner when it's just a mistake that the public agency has made. And just mm -hmm. clear that up. And then there's also that, that feeling that the, usually in, in the appeal, you have a couple of processes. One is, is a reconsideration by the head of the department. And sometimes you can get some help there when they're being realistic, but then it goes to formal appeal from there. And the, typically the judge on rep, or hearing the case is typically on the payroll of the public agent. Okay. does not feel right. And when you look at the results, it doesn't feel right either. I, I have such a different experience in Virginia. Man, the judiciary, by and large, at all levels, is very empathetic, if not sympathetic, to the displacee or to the landowner. Very much so. To the point where they'll bend over backwards to find in their favor, even when the law doesn't allow it. Well, that's good to hear. I'm glad to hear that in, in Virginia. And I haven't seen that in couple of other states. Okay. So if relocation benefits are not intended to be just, Martin says yes, Kristen says no, then how can you ethically maximize relocation benefits? Aren't you maximizing them to make them just? Defend yourself, woman. Okay. All right. I'm maximizing them, but it, again, it's something is eligible or it's not. And I was telling Brandy earlier, one thing that I do with my displacees is I say, hey, man, if you are incurring even a dollar of expense that has anything to do with the fact that you're a displaced business, even $1, keep documentation, keep your bids, keep your proofs of invoice, or proof of payment and your invoices. It's not your job to figure out how it's eligible or under what 49 CFR 24.303, not your job. That's my job. You, I need the documentation from you and the communication from you. And I'll sort through and go, okay, this one's eligible here. This one's eligible there. Just go ahead and spend the money. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> go go ahead. And, and, now, and I'm glad you said that. To be clear, I also always tell them, you know, if you are looking at incurring expense for A, B, or C, you can call me and I'll let you know if it's something that we're going to be able to pay for or not. 
I'll be upfront with you from the get-go. But if there's something you're not sure, like, hey, I printed some new business cards with my new address. Is that eligible? Keep documentation of that. And I, I will correctly categorize it because it's either eligible or it's not. But what's the difference between Martin has identified that sometimes the agency is just wrong. What's the difference between them just being wrong and having someone like him come forward and explain why they're wrong. Isn't that essentially a negotiation? I realize it's not like, well, you're at $50,000 and we want to be at a hundred thousand. So let's split the middle at 75. But isn't that some sort of negotiation when you're explaining to them why they're wrong? If there's a fair interpretation on either side, or is there never a fair interpretation on either side? Wait, is that a negotiation or is that just an explanation? We're, well, I don't know. You tell me. It feels like a negotiation to me. Well, it doesn't feel like a negotiation to me because if he's able to explain why it's eligible and then it's eligible, then it's eligible. It's but not he's like, got to convince you that it's eligible. I, I, that's what I do every day. That's why when I turn it, I have a guy who works for me. And when we put together a claim, I tell him site regulations, get pictures of everything, get details, serial numbers, whatever, like make it so clear that when the agency picks up my payment request, like my grandmother, who's 91 years old, could read it and understand why we're asking for this money. We're going to make it so that there's no, there's no, nothing needs to be negotiated. I've cited regulations. I've explained why I believe that this and this are eligible under these categories. And you've been overruled at times, haven't you? I have been. And you know what I've said to my displacies? You can appeal it. I'll help you. Let's go. Yeah, Kristen, I think that you're coming from a different point of view because you're going, you're entering this in as an experienced and willing relocation agent. And that's the difference between some of the agents that I work with or my business customers work with. Sure. They're not always willing and, or don't, they just don't have the expertise or knowledge of it. And they try hard and, but they still make the, the error. Sure. And then the public agency backs them up on that uh, because they have to back up their agents type of thing. This, sure. you know, not, it's not always true this way. And, and when, the, when there's a good relocation agent like yourself, that seldom happens and it's a great success. The other part of, of the equation is negotiating. Well, let's go back to still maximizing the, the relocation benefits. So we want to understand what, what is eligible in our opinion and be able to describe that. We still don't always sell it to the agency because mm -hmm. they see it in a different way. So we are probably negotiating what does the language mean and how does okay. it apply to our situation? Now, the other ha half of that is is when you're planning a move, you're taking a you're taking a look at how are these relocation benefits going to help. You mentioned that okay, submit them and, and we'll and we'll pay them if we can make them fit. Well, that's after the fact. Mm -hmm. So this is I use the analogy of a tax planner and a IRS agent. The IRS agent's going to look at your taxes if you have them do that and say, okay, yeah, these fit, these don't, and things of that nature. But it's already done. It's a done deal. If you're planning your taxes, you're going to manage your spending and your income based on your tax plan. Same with relocation. You're managing your relocation based on a plan that is going to take advantage of the relocation benefits, but it's also going to make your business, uh, put it in a better position at the, re at the replacement property. So that's the, some of the differences between negotiating and, and doing it after the fact. Martin, I agree with you, but like at the same time, part of the planning from my perspective is if I've got somebody that's finishing out a new uh, a replacement site and they've got to have some electrical work and I get a bid from their electrician that says, okay, we're going to do eight grand worth of electrical work. I know a lot of agents who would probably just go like, okay, well, that's the reestablishment or they just throw it in a category. When in fact, 
one bid from an electrician could have parts that were reestablishment, parts that were uh, connection to utilities, which is other parts that were moving. And so I think that it's my job and any relocation agent's job to sometimes I have to call the electrician and be like, okay, this amount of money, what was that for? And he'll be like, well, outlets. And I'm like, yeah, for what? Okay, where was the, were you connected to the utilities from the right of way or was there a breaker box? Like I have to get into the weeds with an electrician to just determine like which parts of one electrical invoice are reestablishment moving and other. You make an excellent point there. And going back to my move planning portion, Mm -hmm. that's what we do. We have that electrician. We we provide the scope of work for the electrician along with how we want it bid, how we want the line items to show so that we can pick those things out. Yeah. So we tell them this item goes into this category and so on. So we have a bid that we can then use for their plan with. Well, that's a great segue into our next subject. But first, Uh oh, Brandy, favorite Billy Squire song and why? Go. Gross. <laughs> I know there's a bunch of them. It would be bleeped. It would be bleeped? The Stroke? <laughs> oh, gosh. Brandy, do you know who that is? I know who it is. Of course she knows who it is. Billy who? Exactly. Martin, I think you and I are on the same side of the table today. No, all right, Martin, your turn. A favorite spam recipe, go. Oh my gosh, spam recipe. It's been years and years, but my... My my parents wouldn't buy spam for some reason or another, but my neighbor friend though, <laughs> my neighbor friend, he his parents were, they were much better to him. They bought spam and they would do a fried spam sandwich just bread, spam, and mayonnaise. Oh, that was delicious. Darn right. My rum. mouth is watering. Yeah. Brandy looks like she might throw up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Segue into the next subject. And we kind of hit on this. Should the displacee hire its own relocation agent or move planner as a matter of course or just as a matter of practice? or in certain instances, or obviously, Martin, your answer is not going to ever be never because that's your profession. I'm not going to say never either, by the way. I wouldn't say never. never. I'm not going to say never. Okay. All right. So we agreed not never. Always? No. I'm sorry. Was that a question for me? (laughs) No, it's Martin's question. I think that was my question. (laughs) Carry on, Martin. Well, it never hurts to have somebody look at what you're doing and uh, what's going on. It, so you could just ask for some guidance and I can give guidance. Don't, we don't have to get into the, all the nitty gritty, but anything, usually I'd say anything past three, four, five person office uh, situation, or it could be an insurance agent, a law firm or something like that. Those often fit into the in lieu payment to section, some they can anyway, or, and with the reestablishment payment, they, there's not a lot that needs to be, not a lot of personal property to be moved and reconnected and things of that nature. So if they're being treated fair, fairly, they don't. But now when you get past that, then we get into some, the more of the planning. Is this what you want to do exactly like this at a new location? And then we start the ball rolling in that regard. All right, Brandy, what's the role of an attorney in the relocation process, if there is one? Well, as you can tell from the examples that I've referred to, I only really get involved in very complex relocations or relocations that are have started off on a very bad foot. The project is late or the agency is late in notifying the business, as was the case with the propane plant. They got their 90-day notice and they really wanted them out in 90 days. So I see kind of the worst examples. And I think that's probably a reflection of those are the cases where people really need legal counsel. But I would say you always need a relocation agent as a displaced business. 
if your business is is complex, yes, probably you would benefit from it. But if you get a relocation agency, an agent that is actually doing what the act says they're supposed to do, there's a reasonable chance that it's going to turn out as best it could. Yeah. And you touched on something and that's where I want to go next is take the propane plant. And I don't know the, I don't know the facts of that, but they get their 90 day. It's actually a 90 day assurance letter, I think, meaning we're not going to move on you within 90 days. And they either say, I can't get out of here in 90 days. Or they say, I'm not getting out of here in 90 days. I haven't been given my benefits. What happens then? Well, that's what I say. What, what, what do you say? What do you say? I say, we're not leaving. Okay. How do you do that? They have to leave. Well, in that particular case, I'm not sure anyone was really going to go in there and bulldoze 90,000 gallon propane tank. <laughs> They're never going to go in there on day 91 and do anything, let's be honest. Okay. So what do you, do you send a letter to the agency and say, nope, better luck next time? Or should you try to negotiate a, a move? Or do you say, we're not moving until you give us what we want? And that's what I've seen. It seems like it always comes down to that. I start off, I try not to be bad cop right out of the chute, but I try to assess, you gave us, it is, you're right, it's a 90-day assurance. You have, and so I explain that to the client, but they don't, they're not comfortable with that. They want certainty. When do we have to be gone? And so I try to get more information about the project, and that's usually hit or miss. Some agencies are very forthcoming right. about their project schedule and timing. Others are not forthcoming at all. This one was not. I could not tell the client whether they were going to be told in 90 days that they had to be out or they were going to have more time. I said, probably you're going to have more time because it's a rare circumstance that on day 91, they're going to come knocking on the door. But the client was in a panic because other businesses were packing up and leaving and they were a tenant. They hadn't been contacted. They hadn't met with a relocation agent. They had no idea what's happening. I do try to see how sophisticated, how knowledgeable is the agent. I was actually in that case, I was sort of cautiously optimistic because they'd hired a a third-party agent, but I quickly learned that I was, I was dealing with people who seemed to me had zero relocation experience. And Martin actually was really helpful. I could see it was going to be a, a very complex move and be one that was going to require some expertise that wasn't in the mix. And I think part of what Martin brought to bear was his approach is more the, the honey approach. You get more bees with honey. And so <laughs> we were able to, I think, put him in a position where he was actually doing, and he still is doing the job of the agency. And he submitted some proposals and I think he started making their lives a little bit easier, the relocation agency. And we started getting a little bit more cooperation. I mean, still a lot left to be seen. But he brought to bear the expertise that was really missing without being the big stick, like the attorney that I, because I was pretty hot by the time I pulled Martin in. So it was sort of the best approach, I think, to bring to bear the expertise that just was missing and get this very complicated relocation actually off the ground. Okay. Sure. And hey, okay, <laughs> this is the part I want to explore. You, you work for a large law firm, a national law firm. And you're, you oversee a lot of their eminent domain stuff. So you're a big stick. And I know what lawyers charge. I got a pretty good idea and it's usually by the hour and it's, it'll make most people gag. So then you have to bring in Martin, who's got to get paid. And here you have a big time attorney. I mean, you got a big time displacee, let's be fair. So 
who pays your fees and who pays his fees because the agency, and they're only incurring these costs because the agency's not doing their damn job. Well, how do you get paid? I know you ain't doing it for free. This is not pro bono. Right. To the just relocation question, yeah, the client pays it. And that's why I bring in the Martins and Christens of the world because they do have a lower hourly rate and there's at least some chance that some of that is going to be reimbursable. So it's a really a difficult position for the client, but this was this 90 day assurance letter came in the month of November, right in the face of the winter heating season. Their <gasps> busiest oh my time of year. I mean, to say that they were in a panic is a huge understatement. Not being able to meet their clients. They have contracts, supply contracts. They have to supply these businesses and homes with with their propane through the winter season. And so they're not just thinking about whether or not they're going to get reimbursed for their moving boxes. They're thinking about whether this is going to be a collapse of their business in this territory. My job as a relocation agent, I'm required by law to provide advisory services. There, There were no, I can tell right now there was zero. I'm like, I'm getting mad right now. Like there was zero advisory services in that situation because if there had been, they would have known we're not going to send a 90-day assurance letter in November. Like with the florist, you don't require them to vacate the week before Mother's Day. I mean, there's that's a lack of advisories. And we, we I think we all get hung up on the financial part of relocation, but their advisory services are a huge part of what we can do under the act for displacees. I wrote some really nice, not nice letters quoting <laughs> those particular provisions of the URA yeah. to that agency the head engineer of the project, right? the DOT, and the relocation agent that they hired. Kristen, you were right on target with the, with the advisory services. Those are so important for a displacee. We had a similar talk about 90-day notices. We were I was working with a concrete ready-mix plant that mm. uh, they, they had already been in the process of planning their move, and but it takes time. It takes time for to find the right property and, uh, and to move to it and get all the permits for particularly... Well, the displacing agency mailed them a 90-day letter, and, and they meant 90 days. We want you out in 90 days. Well, there was no way. But soon enough, or shortly after that letter came out, and the ready-mix plant hadn't moved yet, they showed up with the sheriff to pa- padlock the gates. Oh, oh my boy. gosh. Fortunately, oh boy. we had an attorney in that uh, representing the displacee and negotiated uh, some more time because they right. had things in process. They just needed to show that, that w- what our process and schedule was. And they allowed them to stay longer, but it was it was watched right after that. They ha- wow. we had to hold to that uh, schedule. And another one though, they they didn't want to move. Another it was like a fruit market type of a situation. So they went to the press. Yeah, and we've they, seen that. Oh yeah. yeah. gosh, yes. I've never experienced that. Uh, they weren't my client, and they so they got the city or the, the folks in the city behind them and the press, and the the, the plans changed. The agency made a, a change in their. And their design drawings to accommodate that. Now, wow. I think that was a mistake on the displacies part because they had an opportunity to make some major corrections in some parking issues they had. So that would have been helpful for them had they been able, it was a, it was a partial taking, perfect for them to make some improvements. But Spoken like that. a true sensei, yeah. Mr. Miyagi. Mr. Miyagi, great, great. We are nearing the end of our time here. And you guys have been, Martin, Brandy, you've been very gracious about joining us on the Infrastructure Junkies podcast, and I made no secret to either one of you that the bulk of our listeners work for agencies, okay? So, I will give you the last word here. 
And the final question is, is the Uniform Relocation Act improperly manipulated or improperly applied by agency representatives? And that is not a negligence standard. I'm talking about an intentional standard. Well, there's certainly there's both in the works. So they sometimes, uh, unfortunately, they purposely manipulate that. You think so? Not too often, though. Not right. very often. Right. So that's usually the smaller agencies that are not used to doing this type yeah. of work. The larger agencies, they certainly allow the language to be uh, mis- or narrowly interpreted. Maybe that's a better way to say it. And not they're not willing to, to hear or look at uh, and understand and accept a different point of view on what the language actually says and how it fits the situation. Yeah. Brandy? What do you think? Big stick? I try to assume people are not intentionally trying to do those things, but I do think it happens, although happily it's rare. Yeah. I think mostly it's incompetence. That's a refreshing answer. And I think on that answer, we'll probably wind it up. What do you think, Kristen? Well, I do want to say one thing. Yeah. Okay. I was thinking and kind of hoping that this would, we would have some battles me and martin and brandy and and be on the opposite side of things i think we've aligned on a lot of things and one thing that i wanted to say that i thought might come up earlier and i alluded to is the fact that like me working for the agency side doesn't really mean that i represent the agency in my mind okay i don't feel like i represent the agency i don't feel like i represent the displacee i feel like i'm a liaison i feel like i represent the regs and i'm sorry i know i just climbed right up on my pedestal but i'm gonna say it i feel like i represent the regs and i feel like i get hired repeatedly to do relocation, not because I'm saving the agency money, but because I am making sure that those displacees get every dollar that's due to them under the regs. I'm not in the business of saving the agency money. I'm in the business of turning in a completed relocation file that when it gets audited, the feds are going to go, you're good. So that's, I just wanted to say that because I didn't get a chance to um, come back to that thought. But I think that I, Martin, I, I really appreciate what you do. Brandy, I appreciate what you do. And we agreed a lot more on a lot of things today than I thought we would. So that yeah. was refreshing. Yeah. Good discussion. Martin Daniel, Brandy Caswell, thank you guys for joining us. It was a fun, fun time. Thank you both. Thank you for having us here. Yep. My pleasure.